From Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, this is The Legal Lounge. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Hello and welcome to Season 2 of The Legal Lounge, where we've got some great content planned for you. If you haven't heard the shows in the first season yet, they're definitely worth checking out. You'll get an insight into many aspects of law in England and Wales, including divorce, mental capacity and claims for different kinds of injury. You can listen to these shows on your podcast app or by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. In this episode, partner Lucy Small speaks with Lee Goff from Megan Baker House. Megan Baker House offer a wide range of services to meet a vast variety of needs for both adults and children who have neurological motor disorders. If you find this interesting, our episode Head Injuries in Professional Sport, which is episode 13 of season one, also to be of interest. Hi, I'm Lucy. I'm joined today by Lee Goff, the CEO of Megan Baker House, also known as MBH. Lee, I know about the charity and I'm aware that it provides conductive education to children and adults with multi-disabilities, but could you explain a little bit more about what the charity provides? It's a holistic integrated educational system which enables people with damage to the central nervous system to learn to overcome the challenges they face. That's it in a nutshell. It's a process of experiences which leads the person to work with their motor disabilities moving forwards with increased independence. It's a system which is primarily suitable for people with neurological conditions such as cerebral palsy, Parkinson's disease, MS, multiple sclerosis, stroke, acquired brain injury and dyspraxia. That's just a few. To the layman's terms and conductive education, what, you, what you're saying is it, it, it's sort of sending, explaining to the brain a, a different pathway, is it, to, to do something? Yeah, learning pathways for, for children with cerebral palsy and conditions which, which they've never had the ability to be able to understand. But of course, when it's Parkinson's stroke or MS... It's relearning things that these dreadful diseases have cut off in the brain. So they're actually retraining the brain, whereas we're training the brain for those with cerebral palsy um, and other neurological conditions. Who actually provides the, the training, the retraining, and how, how is it um, provided? Our conductive educational specialists, we have four who are fully qualified in a degree in conductive education, and some of them have also got PGC, so they're also teachers. It's a three-year degree course, or four-year degree, if, if they've got a, a PGCE. It's quite a difficult course, from what I understand, um, and they have an awful lot of information to take on board. We also have conductive assistants, and they're being trained all the time by the lead conductor and head of services, Sue, and they learn quite quickly the sort of things that they should be doing. We do at the moment have one of our conductor assistants who is now training to be a a conductive education specialist. She's doing that working on the job so we're actually supporting her at the centre and then she spends one day a week on Zoom or live sessions with the National Institute for Conductive Education which is overseen by um, Birmingham University. And so she will then be qualified as another member of our team which is really good. I've observed, I've had the privilege of observing some of the sessions and um, it, it's inspiring, especially to see the results. But watching a session, that it appears that to me, there's a, it, it's not physiotherapy, but there's a, there's a lot of movement, there's music, there's singing with the children especially. This, is that how it is? It's a repetitive process. They learn over and over again 
how to do things and eventually it's taken in by the brain. It is, it's just practising all the time. It's a constant learning process for them. It's the everyday things that we take for granted that a lot of them learn. I've, I've got here a quote from um, a parent. Um, o has spastic CP, which mainly affects his right-hand side, but both legs too. He is also profoundly deaf and wears cochlear implants. When O started attending MBH, I noticed after the sessions that O's right hand was much more relaxed and open. We then noticed he started to do things without us asking, such as clasping his hands together, which was actually one of the goals set for him. His mind was generally more switched on. He very much likes to do his own thing. He usually attends a fantastic old-fashioned play school, which allows free play. It's not particularly structured, so for O to attend the CE at MBH means he has to follow instruction through a series of activities and actually work to help improve his body and mind. As parents, we can also request certain goals for our children to work towards in the session. We asked if they could help him to put on his own cochlear implant magnet when it came away from his head. It's not easy because you have to find the implant site and have the magnetic core the right way around. By the end of that term, he could do it. I mean, it's di- that would be difficult enough for, for, for me to do, let alone you know th- this child. When we visited the cochlear team down in Bristol, they were amazed that O could now do this by himself. I think that just shows that because of practice and the way we teach and the ability that our staff have to recognise the different things that the child can do, that they may never have thought would be possible, the parents may never have thought possible. It's wonderful. The focus isn't just on a motor disability, so there you're improving a fine motor skill. There's the benefit in terms of the child's development, and I assume with, with adults as well. What would you say are the, for want of a better description, knock-on effects of following conductive education? Well, one in particular is um, a, a young lady. Well, she's, she's 30 now, but she's been coming to us for a number of years. She has quite severe cerebral palsy, um, which affects her speech as well. She got married in the, in, in the summer, finally got married this year. It was postponed last year. And she was determined to walk down the aisle. She has generally used a wheelchair, but she tries to spend as much time as possible out of the wheelchair. And we've been working hard practising this walking down the aisle for her. And finally it got to her wedding day and she did just that. The other thing that she was able to do was we working with her with her speech so that she could say her vows clearly as well when she got married. That's just one of them. And we had actually had two people this summer. We had she got married and then we had another young lady that had been coming to us for a number of years and had a break and she came back because she was also getting married and um, and her now husband has also got CP. Again, Sue was working hard with both of them to be able to walk down the aisle and achieve the the goals that they both had, which they did. And it just shows the complete determination, the look on their faces. I mean, they are just, it's so rewarding to watch because you can see they are so, so determined to do these things. And you think, oh, it's such a struggle. I mean, Every story that we have, you know, every, t- every visit just shows something else that's going on. It's so very positive, the outcomes there, Lee. And I just wanted to ask you as well, we've focused a bit on cerebral palsy, but I, I'm aware that um, MBH offer help with people who suffer from Parkinson's disease or have suffered strokes or MS. How does this impact upon the families, not just the people who themselves, but the benefits from 
conductive education. The disease, especially um, Parkinson's, we hear anecdotes of, you know, it it completely changes their personality. So they're not the people they were before. Um, I have one particular quote from um, a husband, which was just simply, thank you, I have my wife back. Um, And that was, you know, a very, um, very simple one. But it just, I think it says everything, really. It shows that um, what the work she's done has enabled her to now carry on with the life at home. And she carries on with that, you know, you keep going with that. But at the same time, it's working on those things. Where are and what are your Parkinson's groups? We operate them from all of the centres. And we have, um, the centres are um, Ledbury, which is the main centre, Bitterly, just, which is just outside of Ludlow, Bodnam, outside of Lempster, and then there are two schools. There's Life After Stroke in Bromsgrove, and we also have a Cheltenham group. Added to this, we have Zoom. One thing that COVID has done for us is mean that we're all having to be far more au fait with Zoom, and none more so than our staff um, and the children. It meant that we only closed for the first few months, I think it was a couple of months, wasn't it, that we were closed for, because after that we were able to open, but not only that, we were able to give to do Zoom sessions with with people. There's there's a couple of um, people who, who actually said, have given me details of, of how their child has responded. During lockdown, I was frustrated. I hadn't predicted that it would happen, that my child would go back so quickly in such a short time. But it was possible during the Zoom sessions to focus on activities that would support the loss of strength in these areas. And now that my child has a reminder, and I've witnessed firsthand how the educators work, I can endeavour to support my child better. So it's also helped the parents to get first-hand knowledge of what happens. The sessions provided new alternative ideas, which has physically benefited my daughter. The staff were also able to adapt the activities to use the space and equipment we had around the home, furniture, toys, etc. So using everyday items, as opposed to the specialist things that they have to work with at the centres, which has been really beneficial as it's given us a new range of ideas and exercises that we can now continue to do ourselves. The sessions have also provided social interaction for my daughter, during this interim period before returning to sessions in the new academic year. She had limited interaction with anyone outside the family for quite a long period of time, and that was due to the medical condition she has. So these sessions provided her with something to look forward to each week and some normality through a familiar face whilst bridging the gap between her return. She has really enjoyed each session and expressed her disappointment when she realised today was her last one. The session helped in several ways. Having someone else leading the therapy sessions gave my child motivation and was a positive change for her. The social interaction with someone else was also positive. MBH gives her something to look forward to each week. That's just one case with Zoom. We have quite a few. There's three young men that, that have continued their Zoom sessions because two of them are 18 and one's 20. And so they have evening sessions where they do Zoom work with uh, one of these staff. And there they also, um, they have dyspraxia. It manifests itself in lots of different ways, dyspraxia does. But it means that they also are learning all the time ways in which they can overcome the disability to the extent that they can ride a bicycle, for example, things that they they thought they'd never be able to do because their coordination isn't right. There's such a wide range 
of ways in which we can help and a wide range of conditions we can help with. I mean, I've named just a few. We can help. And what we also can do, because we're independent, we can respond if we have a group of people that are doing certain uh, certain groups that have um, certain abilities. We can set up new groups and work together with them. That's because we're, we're not overseen by anybody. We are actually an independent, completely self-funding charity. So we don't have any restrictions in those terms. Just going back to what you're saying about the Zoom sessions, and I, I would have thought it would be for parents, um, for anybody over the COVID period, it could be very lonely, very isolating. And also I would expect with a family with a disabled child and in situations where you're probably shielding, you've got to be extra careful. I would have thought it was a lifeline in many respects to ensure that they're continuing with something that they Absolutely. desperately need. Yeah. Because children adults would not have been able to obtain what they normally would be able to obtain through the nhs or face to face so that that's very positive and something you hope to continue as i said we've learned all sorts of new ways in which we can deliver a service which is adaptable it can be adapted for so many different things so it's um it's, that's the positive thing from COVID. I think we've all learned quite a lot, haven't we? How, no, how we can um, I know, adapt technology. Things. It's been a learning curve, but it's it's and it's testament to our staff as well. The fact that they are able to to see different ways, they've been able to uh, adapt things. Um, and and as that lady said, using everyday items at home, being able to to use things which they didn't think um, they'd have the potential to be able to do. I remember when I first became involved with Megan Baker House and one of the stories that you told me, which was very moving, a very simple thing to us, um, but a little boy who had been working with the conductive education specialists and he was able to put his socks on for the first time and how how amazed his parents were. It is, it just shows the things that we we all take for granted. You know, there's also the crawling and the standing and and things that that they don't have the ability to be able to do but we teach them careful ways in which they can they can start to do them and there's so many cases of parents that have said um we've got uh, you know so and so we were told wouldn't be able to do very much just lie lie still but because the staff can see at the initial assessment they can see what their ability is if they've got the muscle control to be able to to actually support themselves um, and the cognitive ability to understand what's expected of them they can learn how to overcome what what age group babies six months i guess um six months to when they get to high school they often tail off because it, it because of schoolwork and so on um although we do have groups of, of um, children that do come to us um of an afternoon or something so they would go up to say 18 and then young adults the, the ones I've mentioned, you know, they, they've come, they've come back, and then the adults. It's sessional services, so each session is between two and three straight four hours long. Those sessions are completely timetabled, including toilet breaks, including snack break, because that's where they learn to take the lid off a yogurt pot or something, so they can all sit together, and they learn these things, and also socialising. So it's, it's a constant, if you watch a whole session, the staff are constantly moving furniture around because uh, we're limited on space um, to, to utilise the benches that we have, which are beautiful wooden benches, but they're either used for lying on or else they're used for the tables and all sorts of things, multi-purpose furniture. It's not just about the actual 
session it's everything around it and development in terms as you say socialization even your break times and your snack time you're yeah. still working absolutely and and as as um, as has been said before about um listening learning to listen as well and and take notice and pay attention and and of course to the parents it's amazing it means they can go in many cases they they they, they can go to restaurants and things you know because they can then sit in a chair be part of things not that they couldn't before but, you know, it does mean that they've got, and um, socially, they don't feel so isolated. I, I would say that the best way to understand conductive education and the benefits of it is to to see it. Is there any way people can actually access video or anything that yeah. will show? There is a, there's a video on, a video link on our, um, we had a, a lovely video made a while ago, um, which is on our website, which is www.meganbakerhouse.org.uk. Um, and they can see, you can see a video on there. Um, the other thing is, um, I mean, I do... I've always said I love we love having visitors because you know I always say seeing is believing, um, and I could stand up in front of groups of people and talk for ages about what we do, but actually seeing it is is the is the way to understand and get a better understanding of it. Um, and I do allow visitors now, um, but only in ones and twos. So you know if people did want to come and see what we do. Um, I'd be happy to talk to them. How far do people travel to come to the centre? If they can get to us, they can come to us. So we don't have any restrictions in, in terms of that. I suppose the furthest they travel is probably about an hour. Traditionally, we, we've had children that used to come every two weeks. There was one girl that came from London. But we do have holiday clubs in the summer. Um, and then we have families that come from further afield. They stay in local holiday accommodation and come to us daily. You've mentioned the benefit of conductive education for um, people with acquired brain injuries as opposed to cerebral palsy. Or that, So this is somebody who, who's been in an accident or um, has suffered a traumatic brain injury. You, you can provide assistance with conductive education in respect of that. Yes. What, what sort of benefits can be given to a person who's suffered a brain injury? Obviously, each one is, is different. So Sue would look at, at each one um, individually to see what ways she feels we can be of benefit and what we can do in terms of um, overcoming some of the difficulties they have. We had um, one young man who came to us, one little little boy who came to us, and he was one and had been kicked in the head by a horse. Um, and, of course, it showed everybody what the brain is capable of because that, that child only had 10% chance of survival. He survived um, and um, he came to us. The brain scan showed that a large portion of his brain was just black. I, th- I think it was a learning curve for everybody. So I think it just shows, actually, the complexities of the brain um, and the fact that, you know, there are things that we, we worked with him on so many different levels. There's another child that we had who had um, brain injury at birth and he, as a result of that, he was also deaf and blind. We worked with him and nobody knew what, 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 what he got in the terms of the, the specialist or said he had no sight, but my staff always felt that there was something there. And we worked hard with him. He did have cochlear implants, but they were quite big ones on the side of his head. And ultimately, he, he learnt to do things, to be able to sit up and things. He's now at a, a special school. We sort of set him on the way to starting to be have some sort of independence. It, it was just a, a big learning curve, you know, so it, the professionals as well were all learning what the brain is capable of, and we could see things we could help him with. Is it fair to say that when a, when a person, child or an adult, comes to MBH and the assessment is made by the specialists 
to adapt a plan for unleashing their potential and gaining independence. That's what it's all about. It's pathways to independence and giving them hope to um, to see that there's a future to be able to do something. In many cases, um, it's being a- also being able to walk is the, is the greatest thing. You know, we have a I have a logo that's on the back of some of the t-shirts, which is "Walk a mile in my shoes," and there's the outline of. Um, of a, a boy with, with his sticks. But, you know, it just shows that he's upright, walking with, with peers. Many of these children, the, the prognosis at the time was they wouldn't be able to walk. Mm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, amongst all the quotes I've got, there are ones that say, that, you know, the doctor said they would never be able to do all sorts of things and now they can do those things. Each time I go there, I, I watch them come out. They've got the frames or some of them are on sticks, but they're walking out and they walk out to the parents. And yeah, it is. It's very rewarding. Didn't they have their own Olympics? We had Sports Day. Sports Day, that was it. Yes. Yes, we, yeah. yes because a lot of schools cancelled Sports Day. We had our own Sports Day. We did each each group or each each centre had their own little Sports Days and we, kept, we had medals. They all had medals and things for these things. Yeah, so it was great because their achievements as well, they had certificates, which in many cases their brothers and sisters hadn't had because the schools weren't having them. This year is your 20th anniversary, isn't it? It is. What this have you got planned? A whole series of things, starting with Jo Brand next Thursday. She's one of our patrons. She's at the courtyard in Hereford for us. Um, and then we've got uh, Warriors Rugby in March golf days we've got um, an Indian evening on the 11th of June which will be very exciting because that, that'll be fabulous and I know it will be fabulous because I know the lady that's going to do it for us she's a brilliant Indian cook so we've we've got those and then we've got various uh, we've got uh, May and June we're doing a walking a month of walking based on 20 so I don't know 20 I, I've yet to work this out completely but something like maybe 20,000 steps in a week or 20,000 steps in a day or 20 miles over a week, but something based on 20. And then th- throughout the summer, there are other events as well. These will all be on the website, but the, it'll, it'll end with a ball in October, and that'll be based on 20. Because it's it's a major achievement, because to have got to 20 years is, is, is quite something, because especially when you're a small charity, which has been self-funding, and, and um, you know we, we haven't ever had a great deal of, of income. We're still here and we're still growing and we're still helping people and that's the way I want to keep it for the next 20 years. Thanks to our special guest Lee and to Lucy for sharing their insights into the amazing work that Megan Baker House do. If you have a particular legal issue you'd like me to put to our specialists for an upcoming episode, please let me know by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you found the conversations helpful, please remember to follow, review and share the episodes. Speak to you soon. That was the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. This podcast is brought to you by Podbean, which is a really easy way to create your own podcast. And that's why we use Podbean to host The Legal Lounge. You can download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. You can download the free Podbean app today. Head over and check it out at podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free.